The Christian is supposed to live out what he believes. Right. Not just say it, not just confess it, not just claim it. Live it. Right. We feel the need, the need for crazy. Sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth. Listen on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. He goes on and he quotes from the uh, larger catechism. Uh, it's out of chapter 15. Um, and it says, Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to repent of his particular sins, particularly. Uh, and Dr. Truman says, his quote is, condemning by implication the lazy tendency that we can have as Christians to repent in general terms and let that be uh, sufficient. Wow. So what do you think yeah. about Wow, that's, that? that's, that's powerful because it, you know, it is. Uh, you think he's being too particular? No, I don't. No, I don't. I think, and I try to do this, so I want to be careful here, but, but I try to do this when I, when I pray. Of course, I'm going to say, Father, forgive me of my sins. We, you know, you, you recite the Lord's Prayer and you say, Father, forgive us as we forgive others. But I go through my, I go in my prayer time, I will reflect on the previous day and I will think about my, the contempt that I had for someone. That's a particular sin. It didn't just, Lord, forgive me and let me go on with my day. Uh, and, 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 and I don't mean offend anybody who says, well, that's what I mean when I say it. No, but most of us just buzz through. Mm-hmm. So I stop and I say, oh, Lord, please forgive me for my, my, the contempt that I had for that person uh, in a, any given situation. Okay. Um, please forgive me for my thoughts of lust whether it be sexual or financial. Sometimes you see somebody, they got lots of money, and you think, you're God, I wish I had half of that money. Mm-hmm. Whether you're envying that person, uh, forgive me for that. I went to the mailbox, and here's another bill that I don't have the money to pay, and now I'm complaining about how I'm not going to make it. Please forgive me for my ingratitude. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's much more than... Uh, a general, I'm a sinner. Yeah, okay. So forgive me, and 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 I go on my way. It's, it's, and I go to talk to my father. I'm conscious of how manifold are my sins. Mm-hmm. How often am I striving to try to bring about my own preferred future rather than resting in his? I mean, there's. You could you could write a book about that. So I think it is I think it is very important. And one of the things that I another one of the things I would like to try to do more often in our church is when we had our Good Friday service, I was able to put together this very particular confession of sin based upon the Beatitudes. You know, you tell us to be pure of heart, but we're not. And you tell us to seek peace, and we don't. Uh, that's a particular confession. And I would like to do more of leading people into that because we we can just get we can get so blind to our our own goodness and how well we treat people that we we can fail to see the pernicious 
nature of sin that's lurking just beneath the surface and wants to wants to take over all the time. And we battle that back by laying it out before the Lord and say, here, Lord, is an area of my life that, that I'm really not very... When I think about prayer, <clears throat> of course, I'm retired now, so I have more time. So I find myself praying more and reading God's Word and, and thinking about different doctrines, preparing for podcasts and, right. and things like that. And I think back over my working years, I would uh, I had a tendency really not to pray unless I wanted something, right. uh, which is sad. Uh, and, and I pray now that God right. forgive me uh, for that. Do you think that's typical of uh, a lot of Christians in the United States, sir? Yes, I, I do, and I say it with all the graciousness I can because we have all been guilty of that. Mm -hmm. I have had many people tell me that or ask, you know, do I have to sit down and kneel to pray? Because I pray all the time. Uh, I don't want to diminish the person who's driving down the road and says a prayer or prays, as you mentioned, uh, one Wednesday night we were talking about and you're driving down the road and somebody's broke down and you pray a prayer. Mm -hmm. the, the fire engine goes by or the ambulance and you say, oh Lord, please be with us. Mm -hmm. I'm not diminishing any of that kind of prayer. But there is a place where I sit down, I push everything else away and I say, Lord, and, and I don't want to give you the words there and to be micromanaging, but but to be aware of, I need to spend time with you. Mm -hmm. Here's something that happens in our culture. It, I think I find it both sad and offensive. Is you're having a conversation with someone and their phone rings. And they answer their phone. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden. Uh, that's more important. We, we th this is what I mean. You're not giving attention to the person you're talking to. Right. Uh, this is one of the things that I, one of the complaints I have about people who are substituting video church for church. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you, everybody in the congregation would admit to the fact that at times you drift. Now, if you drift mentally in the church, mm -hmm. how much more likely is it that you're drifting at home when your kids are playing, the dog's needing to go out, right. phone's ringing, how much more distraction? So you're not giving God your undivided attention, Right. you see. And, and I think that's why it's so important to have that kind of prayer. And yes, I think if you were able to ask people privately, most of them would, would have to fall into that and say, yeah, I don't, I really don't make any time for prayer. Uh, the kind, and we're not talking about three hours or five hours. Uh, you know, David Wilkerson, who was a leader of Teen Challenger, founder of Teen Challenge, and led that ministry, and it was was a very significant, I think, a significant voice of God in our culture. But he would pray two hours every night, beginning at twelve midnight, and he said it's amazing how how much you can think of. He said the first hour was devoted to Thanksgiving. He says, amazing how much stuff you can find to be thankful for. 
And then he spent another hour praying for other situations. Now, uh, I could not, I don't advocate, and I wouldn't call, want anybody to do anything unless God called him to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you'll hear people say, well, I can't pray at night, I'm just too tired. I can't pray in the morning, I don't have time. Well, you're going to have to figure something out mm-hmm. because this is a command of God to, to come aside and spend some time speaking to God, pushing out the world, trying to stay focused on him because he deserves that. Mm-hmm. He deserves that. Exactly. Dr. Dr. Uh, Truman goes on, he says, confessionalism is not simply about abstract doctrine. This is similar to what he said before. Uh, confessions also bind one to certain practices, certain ways of life. And then he compares, you know, the, is Christianity a set of beliefs or is it a way of life? Mm-hmm. I think he goes on to say that actually it's both. Yeah, yeah, it is a way of life that is sustained, shaped, carried along by the beliefs undergirding it. Right. Yeah, that you cannot separate the two. And again, we're back to, well, I believe. I believe, but your beliefs are supposed to impact your life. Right. If you truly believe something, it affects the way you live, Mm -hmm. and and that's not just a religious perspective. It truly affects the way you live. Exactly. Um, The person who believes that because their family history they are inclined to heart disease is doing everything they can to stay healthy. Their belief is affecting the way they live. Right. Uh, the person who believes that Donald Trump is the worst thing that could possibly happen to America is actively trying to undermine and let people know about his faults and failings. Mm-hmm. They are living out what they believe. Mm-hmm. The Christian is supposed to live out what he believes. Right. Not just say it, not just confess it, not just claim it. Live it. Right. And and you cannot live what you do not know. You can't uh, say you believe in God and hold hands with the devil at the same right. time. Right, right. He concludes by uh, making several points, and I'm just going to read those points and let you okay. comment on okay. it. And then we'll... Uh, will be done with this with this wonderful chapter we've right. been in. He says that uh, classic Orthodox Protestantism has a rich confessional heritage. Yeah. Any comments, disagreements? Oh, no, it's, it's absolute, absolutely true. It, absolutely right? true. And again, the, a lot of Christians just do not know they somehow they got the idea that the whole faith thing started when they came to get, came to Christ, mm-hmm. and it's it's been around. Yeah, man. it's been around for a while. It stood the test of time. He says that all all stand within the basic Trinitarian and Christological framework laid out in the early Church creedal formulations. Now that's important, right? That's Absolutely, important. go back to the beginning, right? He says that there is a remarkable degree of consensus on the basics of salvation. So we've talked about the small differences that we find in the three branches of uh, the Reformation. But 
if you look at it, it's a major consensus. Yes. Yes, it is. It is a major consensus. Let's see. There, uh, there are small differences, and he talk, talked about the Lord's Supper, baptism, um, and such, but we, they are minimal. Uh, he says, what we have today in confessional evangelical circles is an eclectic pick-and-mix approach. You touched on that yeah, a, a little bit. Is that the way you see most churches today? Yeah, I really do. And I, I really feel grieved by my own participation in that in the past where you, you, you feel like we have to, we have to find our niche. We have to find a thing that makes us different from the church down the street. And pretty soon you have all kinds of people who are just really confused because we're, we're all believing our own little variety of of Christianity, you know, instead of, and I, and you've heard me say this before, when we go away on vacation, we don't go to church. A part of that is because a, I'm a pastor, so I'm in church all the time. Mm -hmm. So I need a break from the whole thing. That's what a vacation is. Yeah. I need a break from the whole thing. Secondly, um, you, you only have so much time and you want to use that time to relax and refresh and recreate, recreate, uh, your, your well-being. But then thirdly, we have tried and you go to a church that has the same name as the church you attend and you hear something completely different, completely different. Mm-hmm. And you think, okay. And then the next year you try again and you go to a different church. And you hear something completely di- same name, supposed to be the same group, but you hear something completely different. And some of that, not all, but some of it is a product of this idea that we got to find our own special version of Christianity so that we can be successful instead of just proclaiming the truth as the word of God brings it forth as has been the standard of us of the church through the centuries and and stop trying to make stop trying to make something that is contrary to scripture and i really do believe that and that's what you have you have this church does that that church does this that church over here is doing something else it's no wonder christians are confused very confused. And they have no idea what they believe. No idea. They don't know what they believe. They don't know they should believe it. Uh, that And that's, you know, and our, our listeners will think we're just uh, sour grapes, you know, or, or just being critical. But you hear Christian leaders saying this again and again and again and again. The church does not know what it, it, it's about. It does not know what it's what it believes. It does not know why it believes those things. It does not know that these beliefs go back to the first centuries of the church. They they just do not have that that understanding. So yes, he's right about that, and we we could just be in trouble to keep going there. Doctor Truman says holding to. Um some or all five points of Calvinism is not being confessional. Right. Now, why would, why do you think he brings that out? I have my own idea, but why do you think he brings well, that well, out? Well, again, for me, I go back to what we said about the canons of Dort because they're very brief points that make up only a 
small part of the fullness of Scripture. Do you think people can get so caught up in the five points of each side that that's all they think about and they lose focus of what the gospel is all about? I definitely think that that can happen. I wrote a little book called Unconvinced because a man had written a book that said, Is Calvinism Biblical? And he basically attacked Calvinists. And what I showed in my little booklet was 40 pages long, was that he was much more focused on individual people, demonizing people, than really talking about the substance, because many of the points he made were straw man arguments. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, There are a couple other books out similar to that right now, and I thought about buying those and, and showing the same thing, because they're... They're so focused on they 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 their their point is that Calvinism somehow undermining the well being of the church and the world. You know, it's a very extreme position, but yeah, they they've lost sight of uh, of the gospel, and you can do it on either side of the equation. Mm-hmm. So you know, as I as the way I would handle that is say, do you believe this? Yes, I believe that, but but every message I get up to preach does not you know pound away on election or predestination. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more a uh, danger for pastors to to fall into a rut of saying this is an important doctrine and it is, but all we're going to talk about for the next 6 months is this doctrine, okay? Mm-hmm. And and I really like this is one of the things I really do like about the reformed or the presbyterians in that their stress about preaching through a book, okay? So this year we haven't done that because we've had two Real, what, I, what I felt were important series of messages. But we're getting ready to go through the book of Leviticus chapter by chapter. And I'm really excited about that. But, but that's one of the ways that you can, you can teach on all these subjects without constantly just being focused on those, those five points. You know, it is possible on either side of the aisle to get, to get hung up on that and miss the bigger picture of why these five things are important in the first place. You know, these five things are important because of who God is and what he has done on our behalf. Right. And if you only had five points, you could easily lose sight of that. Yeah, exactly. And I see that happen so often on social media. There's there's a couple people I follow on each side, and that's all they post about. Right. And it's, you know, it's a little frustrating to me. Um, You know, they, they never really share the gospel. Right. On social media, which, you know, but to each, well, well, each their but, own, I guess. But. Yeah, but, 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 but also is another danger just quickly is that they're, all the people who see their posts think Christianity is about proving you're right or wrong on this right. issue. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not. That's, so it doesn't help Christianity. And I don't think it hurts it. Yeah, it does. And, I, and what I have also found, and I've, I've tried to adopt this more in my own life recently over past decade is I, I really I, I'm not to, not to say that we shouldn't make an argument uh, but you make it and you move on right you, know, you make a statement so I, I wrote for the paper just editorials submitted editorials for a while every one of them was somehow different I didn't come back each month and, and give you another reason why I was right about the month before mm. uh, so so I do think it's important for us to to engage engage more more broadly and stop 
stop trying to prove you're the only one who knows what you're talking about. I believe that it, it would be much more effective to have the kind of conversation we're having, a long, gracious conversation that might go weeks and months, mm-hmm. than to have just this spitting match where you make your points, I make my points, you make your and, and we leave, right. and we never accomplish anything. Sounds like a lot of the uh, political uh, conversations that you right. see uh, as well. He goes on, he says, confessions are only really confessions when they are adopted and confessed by a church. Now, that sounds so simple that it makes me think it's complicated, but it's not really complicated. No, no. And, you know, I'm trying to remember there's another book I read that said a confession, even a confession of sin is not meant to be a solitary thing. Mm. You know, it's supposed to be done in a group. Uh, go to that passage again in Colossians where Paul says, right. uh, uh, let the wor- word of Christ dwell richly in you, uh, singing psalms and uh, singing psalms to, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Speaking to one another. Mm-hmm. That's in the context of the church. Right. Or some kind of gathering like that. He specifically has that in mind. So, yeah, there's a confession. Here, here's what I believe. But I put, I put teeth in the belief by confessing it in the company of others. Mm-hmm. And it's also why I say to, well, I have said, I don't I haven't said it for a while, but when you get up to, in church to recite the Apostles' Creed or whatever, say it. Mm-hmm. Don't. I'm, I'm, Don't just mumble I, it. I believe in. I believe in God, and the person next to you can't hear you. Bless them by proclaiming. Exactly. You know, one time at one point in our church, that's what we called it. We called it the shared proclamation of truth, and then you had the pastoral pa- proclamation of truth, which that, was the message. I like that. That's uh, that's more accurate because that's what we should be doing rather than just reciting. Right. We're proclaiming the truth, yeah, mm-hmm. to one another. Yeah, and a confession does no good unless you proclaim it. Right. If it's just set, written down, set it, and it's setting on the pastor's desk, right. Right. and not being actually uh, read and communicated to the church, yeah. it does, it's absolutely no good at yeah. all. Yeah, actually being confessed right. verbally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he says, thus to say that one is a confessional church requires that one also specify to which confession one adheres and in what specific church context one does so. So what's he mean by that? Well, that one's a little more involved. Uh, you know, I, th- I can answer the first part. You can't, again, you can't say you're confessional unless you're confessing something. Mm-hmm. And it's not a confession uh, in, in the way he means it unless it has some historical undergirding. It's not just this year we're going to do this and next year we're going to do that. And, and the year after that, who knows? Mm-hmm. It is something that is, is written down. It's expressed. This is what we believe. This is what we stand for. This is what we convey. Uh, for the people to know that, the people, the people to know uh, what what's being said there and why it is important. That why do we believe that is important to us? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people in our culture, I would guess, have no clue what separates Methodists from Baptists or Baptists from Presbyterians, and uh, 
they don't re- they they just think we're all religious and we're all just doing our own thing and mm-hmm. they don't understand the significant discussions that have occurred over and around a particular item that has set us apart mm-hmm. you know well like you said the baptists have their own confession the london confession um which is basically the westminster confession with a few alterations tweaks, right tweaks to it uh, Methodist Methodist came out of John Wesley, so I'm not sure if they. Uh, yeah. I think they just adhere to the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed, think, which uh, is which is good, you mm-hmm. know. So, so when we look at the three branches, we mainly think that Luther, the Lutheran branch, we think of the Dutch Reformed branch and. Usually the Presbyterian is what what I associate the third branch with, but you can throw in others that well. When we think about Reasoning Tree Church, I want to ask you this personal Ooh. question. Oh, when a- we think about Reasoning Tree Church, of course, it's a product of the Reformation, correct? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, what, let if me, you had to... Go ahead. Well, I was going to broaden that out for people to understand. If you're not Catholic... You're part of the Reformation, right? Okay, right. Now, 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 you could then you have to narrow that down, okay? But the Reformation was a break with Roman Catholicism. Exactly. The beliefs are significantly different still. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm not a Catholic, I come under the umbrella of Protestant, the 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 Protestant or the Reformation, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, again, for someone not a Protestant was the Protestants. They mm-hmm. were protesting the abuses of Rome. And that's where the word Protestant comes from. So, yeah, so that's the first thing you have to say. We are a, a we are a, so that when we say we are a Reformed church, we and we've had this recently, so let me just elaborate. We had a man coming who attended a Reformed church, and I had to say to him, we are, ref, we're very committed to the, doctrines of the Reformation that came out of the Reformation, but our liturgy and our the structure of a service is not what you would find in a typical Presbyterian or Reformed church, but we are very committed to the principles and the doctrines that came out of the Reformation mm-hmm. because we feel they are the correct, the correct thing, okay? Right. Um, now, now, also for the people, now the word Reformation, it, it's not the Protestants separated themselves from the Catholic, but they didn't make a new religion no, or exactly. denomination or anything. What they were doing is just reforming the church back to their, what right. it was supposed to be. Excellent. Right? Excellent point. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people have made this, have, have brought this out that Martin Luther didn't intend to start a new church. He right. intended to reform the, the Catholic errors church. in the Catholic church. Right. It was only when the Catholics refused to recognize the abuses and basically uh, sentenced him to death that the idea of starting a new quote-unquote church, we shouldn't call it a new religion, but a new church uh, sprang up because mm-hmm. the church as it existed then would not would not yield to the reality that uh, of reason Mm-hmm. would not yield to the reality of reason that they had gotten off track and many of their teachings and doctrines were simply mm-hmm. wrong. 
Exactly. He also, Dr. Truman also brought out, and we talked about before uh, we actually started recording, that the assurance of our faith. Uh, he, he said there's a lot of people that are going, converting from uh, a Protestant church and going to the Roman Catholic church. And when they do that, they lose that assurance, which is, is really sad that someone... Yeah, you would, you would abandon the certainty that I'm saved and cannot be lost because God is faithful to his word. Amen. This, this is the point that I just wish I could get across when people misunderstand the perseverance of the saints. I am not saying that I'm eternally secure because of myself. I am saying I'm eternally secure because God never fails. Right. And he did not say, I will try to save you. <laughs> he says, if you trust me, I will yeah. save you. And it is to such an extent that he gives us faith. He undergirds that faith. He deepens that faith through the circumstances of life. And so, yes, when I go back to Catholicism or the Armenian side of the scale, then I am abandoning the idea that God's going to keep me and I'm going to have to make sure I keep my nose clean mm -hmm. up to the very last breath or, or I'm, or I'm, I'm not going to make it. And, and, and I, and, and this is where for me, personal righteousness, the idea of my personal righteousness comes in, but I do not trust myself. When I go to that list I shared earlier of specific confessions, I leave that moment not, wow, boy, I'm such a good Christian. Mm -hmm. I leave that moment, God, what a wretched sinner. Right. And how shall I be saved? And I've been a Christian for 40 years. How shall I be, after 40 years, you still have these issues? How shall I be saved? Mm -hmm. And the answer is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And not through anything that I can can do. I'm, I'm not putting my trust in, in, in that, in myself. So that's where you lose that because the Catholics say, no, you got to work, 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 work. You, you've been forgiven of your previous sins, but now you're still a sinner and you're still accumulating a debt with God. And so now you're going to have to work, 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 work. And then when you die, you're going to have to go to purgatory. And after a while, God will decide you're good enough to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't want to be critical to anyone on the other side of the aisle. So here's the, here's the reformed stream. Here's the Armenian stream, we'll call it. And here's the, or the non-reformed stream. And here's the Catholic stream. And of those three streams, only one of them guarantees that I'm going to make it home mm -hmm. because of God and his grace and his, his unfailing purpose. The other two say, well, there's a good chance you'll get there. This one says, yes, you'll get there because God is the one who has saved you and is keeping you. That's right. Wow. That's right. Yeah. That's, and, and that brings out a good point to end on that all forms of the Reformation, whether it be any, any one of the three branches we talked about, all believe in the five souls. Right. And yeah. uh, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. Powerful stuff. And, and you know, if I could just throw in a, a plug for the five solas. Now those five, there are five books that are out on the five solas. Um, and I, I bought them 
and well, I had two of them, but I reread those two and bought the other three. And uh, the depth of those books, when you say five solas, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone, God's word alone, mm-hmm. it sounds, it's very brief and it's true. But boy, when you unpack those books, who, uh, these guys. Who's the author? Well, one of them was. Several different ones. Yeah, different authors. One of them was this, uh, Carl Truman wrote the one on uh, grace, by grace alone. Uh, Matthew Barnett wrote the one God's word alone. Stephen Wellam wrote one, uh, and I can't remember which one that is. Another one was written by Tom Schreiner, and I can't remember who wrote the other one. But yeah, recognized solid men, very unpacking it, but just a depth, a depth. And I have, I've highlighted and, and I'm, I'm using a couple of comments from the one book this week uh, in my message this Sunday. So, uh, real substantive stuff. Real substantive stuff. Final question. And I start, I've been beating around the bushes. I was going to ask you this as with the final question when I said it before. But, uh, Reasoning Church, if you had to assign it to one of the branches of the Reformation. Ooh. Can you? I I do not think you could could I okay. We just Okay, if you're if you're we, just looking if you're looking at the three forms of unity, then uh I don't think you could just stick it in, in there. But I do think the Westminster Confession of Faith would be a, a good guide. Mm-hmm. For it, so that would be the closest. That would that would, that would be under. the closest thing that we would fall under. That's, that's probably typical of a lot of um, churches. Yeah, unless you are. Yeah, so, for example, if you are in the Dutch Reformed, if you're if your congregation, and there are places in America, obviously, because we're an immigrant co- co- country, mm-hmm. there are a lot of places where you have a lot of Germans or you have a lot of of Dutch people. And so in a Dutch Reformed community, they're likely to recite the Belgic Confession, okay? If you're in a um, more uh, slightly uh, less conservative, let's say it that way, uh, Lutheran church that would, would tend to drift more towards Philip Melanchthon, you'd probably use the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, and of course, the, 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 the Canons of Dort were a different issue as well. And if you come from a British... Uh, Scottish Presbyterianism, then you're going to be using the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith. Mm-hmm. But, but I would put us. I would say the Westminster Confession of Faith is the is the one we would cling closest to. Although, as you know, I'm very big on utilizing the history of the church, uh, the church fathers as a whole. As a whole, the. Uh, Again, they they are not they do not have the same authority as Scripture, but they do have an ins, insights to their time and and what I do when I use them is I I try to show here's what I'm talking about today and here's what they were saying about this 1,200, 1,500 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so the, so I think that is important. And as I said, the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm gonna I'm gonna search it out before the first of the year, we might start using that as our weekly confession to begin our service, to convey deeper to the people what we believe, why we believe it, how long the church has believed it, 
you know. So we see that we're part of this, this long line. Just as we say when we have communion, we're doing something this morning that Jesus did the night he died. Right. This goes all the way back. And set aside the debates between the, the Reformed and the Lutheran about the presence of Christ and between the Catholics and the Reformed. Here's a practice that's real basic that goes all the way back to the Lord. Amen. Wow. And what we say and do in the church goes back to the canon of Scripture. Right. As well. Yeah. So, well, Pastor, <clears throat> next week is going to be, uh, next chapter is going to be exciting. Uh, it talks about uh, confessions as a form of praise. Yeah, that's going to so be I'm look, Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you very Thank much. You. God bless you. Bless you. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.